Walking through a park and everywhere, literally everywhere, there's pigeons. And that's probably not a surprise because I'm sure a lot of you have been to parks and crossed paths with pigeons before. But if you think I'm going to come on here and tell you that pigeons are dirty pests, you better think again because I have a very soft spot in my heart for pigeons. And seeing them here today has inspired me to share some much needed knowledge and how pigeons are actually quite impressive. So if you are one of the many people who think that pigeons are rats with wings, allow me to try to change your mind. I'm going to attempt to change your mind. So let's talk about it, shall we? Oh, hello. Welcome to the podcast where I hope you get all of your weird, obscure knowledge to share at dinner parties or shindigs or possibly first dates. This is Little Curiosities. I'm your host, Kendall Long. And you might recognize me from a little show called The Bachelor. On that show, I was on a quest to find love. For this podcast, I'm on a completely different quest, a quest for knowledge and a quest for curiosity. This is an accumulation of everything that fills my brain. I walk around and I look at different happenings and I think, why the heck is that like that? And I go home, do some research, and share it with all of you. It is uh, my absolute passion. This is such a fun podcast for me. So I thank you so much for listening. And today is literally one of my favorite subjects. If you know me, you know I talk about pigeons quite a lot. My obsession with pigeons truly started when I decided to not think they were gross, not to turn my head in disgust, but to really get to know about something that surrounded me everywhere I went. No matter what city I went to, there were pigeons, and I had to know why. I've really been doing research for this episode probably for a couple years now. I'm not going to say more than a couple years just because I have made it my mission to make these quote-unquote rats with wings more understood because they truly are a huge part of our history. And any animal that can survive with humans, I'll say it again, is a very impressive animal in my book. So let's get started with this episode about pigeons. First things first, I took to Instagram to ask all of you what you thought of pigeons, and I got a very surprising result, probably because I talk so much about pigeons, people tend to have more of an open view of them, but I asked, pigeons, hate you gross? Are they kind of cute? Or you just don't care about them, neither like or dislike? And the percentages were split around the board. 34% of you said, hate, you gross. 32% said, they're cute. And 35% said, meh, I don't care. I don't like or dislike pigeons. And I have to say, I'm pleasantly surprised. And I'm so happy that all of you have your minds open to the beauty of pigeons. And after this podcast, I hope to get 100% of you saying that, hey, pigeons, they're cute, slash, they're the most awesome bird in existence. Because that's what I think. And it did get even more interesting when I asked people directly for their thoughts on pigeons. And there were some interesting things that were said. So a lot of people said that pigeons were government spies. One person said, pigeons are government spy drones and charge themselves on telephone lines. I mean, they do spend a very mysterious amount of time on telephone wires, so I guess there might be some proof to that. Another person said, they got cute feets. Sometimes they get feet taken off by caught hair. Sad face. They do, unfortunately, get their feet 
caught in uh, human hair, and this causes their feet to lose circulation, and toes and legs fall off. It's actually incredibly depressing and sad to see a pigeon hobbling on a deformed foot because that affects their ability to get food and to survive in an already very difficult place to survive, which is urban environments. Someone else said, it's crazy how many lost digits their toes have, supposedly around 20%. And when this person said this, I was actually shocked to find out that such a huge percentage of pigeons had missing digits on their little feetses. It made me really sad because pigeons... They're just remarkable to me, and you'll understand a little bit later why I have such a soft spot in my heart for them. Unlike these next few people that said, trash birds, I'm sorry, but beautiful colors and markings. Another one said, I hate pigeons. I don't have a rational reason. I don't like how close they get to you. Yes, pigeons do get close to you because you probably have some nice tasty snacks that they want to snaggeth. And I don't blame them because I too would like to have one of your Lay's potato chips and you're not sharing. <laughs> Someone else said gross dirty. Another person said absolutely annoying. And the final hate quote that I will read because I just can't take anymore is dirty from walking slash eating all over the dirty city streets. Yeah, so pigeons do depend heavily on our trash for sustenance. They don't really eat the same things they would in the wild, only because we have trash everywhere on our streets, and a lot of animals that live in urban environments depend on that for food, just because it's plentiful. I do find it very interesting that humans tend to hate animals that live in close proximity to us, such as cockroaches, mice, pigeons, you name it. Usually when an animal tries to share our urban environment, we're like, hey, you shouldn't be here. Whereas animals that are far away, like lions, beavers, dolphins, we tend to glorify and think they're very cool. It could be because we're directly competing for resources, but I think it's more so the fact that we think that pigeons and cockroaches and all these other animals are dirty and will give us disease, which isn't not true, but let's also keep in mind that these animals are living where we live, in our cities, and they're a direct reflection of how we treat our cities. The trash that we accumulate, the things we leave on the ground, that's what these animals are living in, and maybe looking at that makes us feel uncomfortable because we don't necessarily keep our ground as clean as we should. So don't hate on the animals, they too would like to have cleaner parks. <laughs> Maybe with a couple of french fries scattered around, but still, cleaner nonetheless. Let's not talk about pigeons today, because we don't really have the best view of pigeons today. Let's talk about pigeons way back when. Because pigeon and human history goes as far back as the Egyptians. They actually have pigeons in many forms of art on pottery. So they've been around for quite a while. We've used them for messengers, for gambling, pets, and food. Because yes, you can eat pigeon. It's called squab. And I had to look it up to see what it tasted like because I've never tried squab despite my efforts. I would totally buy squab if I saw it on a menu. But unfortunately, it's not as common as it used to be. People who have tried squab say that it has a slight gamey flavor. It's a dark meat, similar to that of a duck, but it has a richer taste. I don't know about you, but I do really like the taste of duck. But I researched what squab actually was, and it surprised me to find that squab isn't your average pigeon. You can't just go to the park, 
capture a pigeon and cook it up on the grill. It's a young pigeon, usually around 28 days old, and it's a pigeon that's never flown before, which doesn't make me feel too good about eating it, because once it's over a month old or it starts to fly, the bird is no longer considered squab caliber. So in that way, it's very similar to veal, which is baby lamb meat. And yes, I get that baby meat might taste a little bit better because these animals haven't yet faced the harshness of the world. And all of that does affect your meat in a lot of ways. And maybe it makes it not taste as good. But I just think it's low-hanging fruit to eat babies that are defenseless. I don't know. Not too much of a fan. If you have tried it, I'm not completely calling you out here. But just not my bag of chips, you know? It's been around probably a lot longer than chips. It was the first domesticated poultry even before chicken. And it's super duper expensive. One pound of squab is around $25, while one pound of chicken is only $3 to $4. So why is it so expensive? It's because pigeons prefer to make babies the old-fashioned way. They respond very poorly to artificial insemination. And they also can't have poor quality feed. Pigeons also like to raise their offspring together, and their nesting cubbies cannot be disturbed. So they're very sensitive in this regard, but it really sounds like they don't demand much more than any normal living thing would. They want good food, they want to be able to make love, to create their babies, and they don't want to be disturbed. I think any other living creature would want those same things, but unfortunately, that makes them more expensive. They are what you call a high-maintenance poultry. And compared to chickens, they just don't produce as much offspring in a year. Pigeons produce around 24, while chickens can produce around 200 to 300 eggs per year. That is a lot of eggs. But enough talk about eating pigeons. We first need to tackle if pigeons are real in the first place. Are birds real? This movement was brought up so much when I mentioned pigeons. People want to know. Are birds government drones that are spying on us? So if you haven't heard of the birds aren't real movement, it's the claim that the government has killed all the real birds and replaced them with surveillance drone replicas that they use to spy on us every single day. And the pigeon is the spokesperson or mascot for this movement. On their website, it's plastered all over shirts. There's a pigeon with a quote that says, I'm a lie underneath it was very tempted to buy that shirt. But why is the pigeon the mascot? If you really think about it, there is no other better bird to spy on humans than pigeons. They live everywhere we live, and they roost in our homes. They roost in our buildings. They can easily look through our windows and try to check out what we're doing. And they eat everything we eat so they know our diet. Or are they just collecting DNA samples? I can't claim to know the answers of if birds are real or not. But I can say that the fact that pigeons are spies isn't 100% false, because there was, at a time, real pigeon surveillance. The government used pigeons as spies, they just weren't robot ones. How did they spy? The pigeons themselves were fitted with small little cameras that were harnessed onto their bodies. It's really funny to look at pictures of these pigeon spies because they almost look like they're pigeons that aspire to be photographers, <laughs> and they seem very proud with their cameras. 
these cameras were set on timers, so the camera would automatically take photos as the bird was flying over certain areas. I do wonder, if a pigeon saw a particularly beautiful scenery, would it just circle around there until the camera automatically took a picture and it's like, yes, my vision is complete, and goes off to another very beautiful scenic area? I wish that was true, but I don't know if pigeons have the ability to know what pictures they're taking. I'd like to think they do, though. But if you're thinking, who in the world would invent a pigeon camera? It's none other than Dr. Julius Neubroner. This German apothecary submitted a patent for the pigeon camera in 1907. If you don't know what an apothecary is, it's a person who sells medicines and drugs, and he used pigeons to deliver prescriptions to different people. Wouldn't that be the coolest way to get your medicine? Just imagine a pigeon flying through your window like, here's some NyQuil, have a nice day. I do wish my medicine was still delivered by pigeon. But the reason why he invented this pigeon camera was to track the flights of the birds in his flock. And I don't blame him, because what if someone was trying to steal your medicine? Not cool. This just made sure that didn't happen. Or maybe he just liked his birds so much he wanted to see what they were up to while they were flying around. He also sold postcards with pictures that the pigeons had taken during their flight. Can't you just picture him as a proud pigeon daddy with all these pictures his pigeons have taken on their flight magneted onto his fridge? With alphabet magnets, nonetheless, why does everyone have alphabet magnets on their fridge? I feel like I'm the only person that doesn't have those, and I should probably buy them because I would have way too much fun spelling out words on my fridge. And when friends come over, they can spell out inappropriate words, so when my parents visit, I can get all awkward and embarrassed. But anyway, I'd like to picture that's how his pigeon household is. Just so proud of all those little pigeon pics. Neubroner's invention proved to be so good at taking aerial photos that it wasn't long before the military saw a use for pigeon cameras. This was during the Cold War, when Moscow surveillance was proving to be incredibly challenging for the CIA, and they were looking for new ways to obtain information. Enter the pigeon camera. The best kind of pigeon to use for this kind of task is a homing pigeon because they always return home where they're bred and raised. You can literally let them loose anywhere, disorient them, and they'll always find their way home like a compass. Or like Peter Pan, who follows the second star to your right and straight on till morning. I don't know how they do it. Maybe Peter Pan's part pigeon. Or maybe the pigeon is part Peter Pan. And you better believe I went straight to the internet to figure out how much it was to get one of these birds, because it would be so cool to send messages to my friend down the street, or to send love notes to my boyfriend. I think it would be a romantic gesture, right? So Craigslist sells pigeons anywhere from $5 to $100. I looked up racing homing pigeons, and they have a deal. Buy one, get one for free for $5. So if you're interested... Pigeons are definitely available online, or you can just create a trap with a bagel and a net. I hear pigeons like bagels, but actually don't do that because those pigeons are feral, meaning they were domesticated and since have adapted to the urban life. So their new wild is our cities. They've replaced rocky sea cliffs with tall buildings and their plant seeds with your french fries. Whether we like it or not, they are still somewhat dependent on us. And unfortunately for us, pigeon droppings are so acidic that they can erode stone and metal over time. Talk about some powerful poop. 
And yes, that has a lot to do with their diet that now consists of a lot of bread. We often see movies or other forms of media depicting breadcrumbs being thrown to birds, but in reality, birds don't have little ovens in the wild. They can't bake their own bread. They normally eat grains and other seeds, but we don't necessarily eat that stuff, so that's not the stuff we're going to discard on the floor. So pigeons aren't going to pick it up. They're more so going to eat our muffins, croissants, toast, and other yummy bready things. And our statues and buildings are paying a hefty price for that. Did you know that we're eating and drinking roughly a credit card's worth of plastic a week? Yep, that's right. The products that we're using every day are ultimately contaminating our water supply, generating hundreds of microplastics that we end up ingesting. So Blue Land set out to do something about it. Eliminate the need for single-use plastic in the products that we reach for the most. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet. Their idea is simple. They offer endless refillable cleaning products in a beautiful cohesive design that looks great on your counter. No more mismatching bottles of different products. It's all uniform, and honestly, it looks so much better than what I had before. Just fill your bottles with water, drop in the tablets, and wait for them to dissolve. You will never have to grab bulky cleaning supplies on your grocery run, which is great for me because I have to walk and take the bus everywhere here in Germany and bring my own bags, and all of my cleaning supplies really weighs me down. Refills start at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription so you don't run out of cleaning supplies when you need it the most, or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, all Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Try their Clean Essentials Kit, which has everything you need to start. Three bottles of cleaner, plus a bottle of hand soap, and comes in beautiful light scents, such as iris agave, fresh lemon, and my personal favorite, eucalyptus mint. And guess what? Blue Land has an offer just for our listeners. Get 15% off your first purchase of any product. To get 15% off your first order, go to blueland.com slash L-I-T-T-L-E. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash L-I-T-T-L-E. That's blueland.com slash L-I-T-T-L-E. All right, back to pigeon spies. It wasn't long until the military harnessed the technology of the pigeon camera to use in wartime. There was a secret agent pigeon mission to spy on Russia during the Cold War. In 1907, planes weren't quite off the ground. Flights were measured in mere meters and minutes, not to other countries like we're capable of doing now. And pigeons were useful as spies because acquiring surveillance with their speed and range was impossible at the time. Not to mention that aerial views were very rare and pretty much limited to kites and balloons. In soared the pigeon camera that allowed people to see houses as if they were children's toys, and people as if they were ants. Like it was designed to do, the camera that was now harnessed on a very trustworthy pigeon was set to take interval pictures as the birds soared over enemy locations. The pigeons were drones before drones were a thing, and the images far surpassed the quality of satellite photos at the time, giving the military a bird's-eye view of enemy lines, which was extremely valuable at the time. 
I'm not saying the pigeons were expert photographers. It did require a bit of luck for a pigeon to capture the exact desired object or location. They had random angles, wings or feathers obscured the view in some of the photos, but hey, it was better than nothing, and it definitely helped the war effort. And if you think this was the only way that pigeons were used in wartime, you would be absolutely wrong because the pigeon was used as a messenger. Pigeons had homing abilities, so they are used by soldiers to send messages back and forth between Allied forces during World War I and World War II. In this way, they saved a lot of lives. One of the most breathtaking and heroic stories of a pigeon has to be the story of Cher Ami, who was a wartime hero after his bravery during World War I in France at the Meuse-Argonne Offensive. Picture this scene, if you will. It's a battlefield. Bullets are zooming past. Bombs go off in the distance. It is absolute chaos. The date is October 4th, 1918. Major Charles White Whittlesey and more than 550 men are trapped on the side of a hill behind enemy lines. Soldiers have run out of food and water, and now they're receiving friendly fire from Allied troops who have no idea that they're actually fighting on the same team. It is an absolutely dire situation. The number of men has gone from 550 to now only 194 left. There are multiple attempts to get a message through, asking for help and alerting the allies of the situation, but to no avail, until Cherami was fitted with the message and sent up as a final hope to save them. The note read, We are along the road parallel to 276.4. Our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it. The journey was treacherous. When he arrived with the message, Cherami was pretty beat up. He had been shot straight through the breast, blinded in one eye. His leg was literally hanging just by one tendon. Cherami saved the remaining 194 men that day, and he was dubbed the hero of the 77th Infantry Division. Army medics worked to save Cherami's life, and he recovered just enough to travel to the U.S. He eventually died at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey on June 13, 1991, from the wounds he suffered on the battlefield. But he received tons of medals for his bravery. He was induced in the Racing Pigeon Hall of Fame in 1931, and he was one of the first pigeons to receive the Animals in War and Peace Medal of Bravery on November of 2019. That's quite a lot of accomplishments for a mere rat with wings. With all this wartime going around, doesn't it make you wonder how they transported pigeons through all the chaos? Do they have these cages and just lug them around everywhere? They actually used pigeon transportation vests. According to the National Museum of American History, pigeon vests were made in a bra factory of all places. That's right, made in form that originally was a factory to help make undergarments to support the ladies, now helped hold pigeons in place. This government contract resulted in Maiden Form making around 28,500 pigeon vests. And you don't even want to know how upset I was when I found out that this wasn't actually tiny bras fitted for pigeons. In reality, what they were actually making was a wrap made out of canvas and mesh, kind of like a little vest that was delicately wrapped around the pigeon, and it was secured in place like the back of a corset or where you tie a shoe with the laces going back and forth, and this ensured that the pigeons stayed in place for 
combat activity or jumping from airplanes. And they do look quite cozy in there. This was clipped on a soldier, kind of like a hip side fanny pack, and off they went, pigeon in tow. In actuality, no undergarments for pigeons were being made. They were, in fact, pigeon vests, which is a sort of wrap that goes around the pigeon and then securely tied in place, like the back of a corset. So they were nice and snug, their wings were tucked in, which means they did stick to their original bra design with a corset. But it wasn't a sexy pigeon, unfortunately. This pigeon was clipped onto a soldier where they can move around and do combat and jump out of planes without the pigeon getting loose or flying off. And a lot of pigeons traveled during wartime in this way. You may be surprised to know that Cherami and other messenger pigeons like him weren't the only pigeons trained to potentially save lives. Pigeons, as I'm sure you must know by now, have a lot of talents, and it's these talents that landed them in positions like Project Sea Hunt, which was a team of Navy researchers that trained pigeons to save lives at sea. How can a small bird be capable of a rescue mission, you may ask? They were trained to identify red or yellow life jackets of people floating in the water. So when a boat capsized, people had life vests on, and pigeons' eyesight is better than humans, so they can spot these brightly colored life jackets much quicker than you and I can. Pigeons can see all the colors that we can see, with the added bonus of being able to see ultraviolet light. Us humans cannot see that. Pigeons also have monocular-type vision, which gives them a much greater range of vision than, say, binocular types, which is the same that ourselves and owls have. Monocular is when the eyes are on the side of the head, while binocular is when your eyes are in front of your head, looking forward. They just have a bigger spectrum of sight than we do, and therefore they are uniquely qualified for search and rescue missions. A Washington Post article published in July of 1979 that covered the Project Sea Hunt Pigeon Project. Wow, try to say that five times fast. The Project Sea Hunt Pigeon Project. <laughs> I bet you I will never be able to say that straight. But in this article, they said, In experiments, pigeons strapped on a helicopter outdid Coast Guard air crews every time in spotting objects tossed in the ocean's surface. The pigeons spotted the floating target, which was an orange-colored life preserver vest, 90% of the time on the helicopter's first pass, while the air crew only saw the object 38% of the time. The pigeons pecked, as they were trained to do, on a special pedal that flashed a signal to the pilot. So these mere pigeons are blowing the Coast Guard out of the water with being able to spot these life preserver jackets. Just another example of anything we can do, pigeons can do better. On a bummer side note, that same article said that the first flight of pigeons testing the pigeon search and rescue mission for Project Sea Hunt drowned when the helicopter crashed at sea. But they also helped save many other lives, so they didn't die in vain. Something to hopefully lighten your spirits after that sad pigeon story? Pigeons and gambling! And no, I'm not talking about little pigeon gambling spies that peek over at your neighbor's cards and whisper, he's bluffing, go for it. I'm talking about pigeon racing. And I know it sounds insane. You usually think of racing animals and think of the Kentucky Derby with horses, but they do the same kind of thing with pigeons. 
And remember, from everything we talked about in this podcast, pigeons are exploited for their ability to go home. You can bring them to any location, set them free, and they'll always go home to their nest. And this is the ability that is used for timing pigeon racing. If you can think back to the beginning of this episode, you'll remember that pigeons have an amazing ability to always go home. No matter where you release them, they know how to get to their loft somehow. And it's this specific ability that allows them to be used in pigeon racing, sending messages back and forth. They are very hardworking, impressive birds. And I at first was really confused as to how a pigeon race actually worked, because after all, they're all going to different locations, so how do they track who's the fastest? The answer is, of course, math. My least favorite subject, but in the case of pigeon racing, it's actually kind of cool. So the sport involves taking your pigeon to a certain starting location, setting them free, and then, of course, they miraculously find their way home. Competitors will measure the distance and time flown from their specific pigeon. How long did it take for Mr. Fast Feathers to fly from the starting point to their loft? How far away was their destination? This is then calculated to find out who got from point A to point B fastest. But how in the heck did pigeon racing begin? Who thought up that these birds can race from point A to point B? All that math. Pigeon racing was first organized and increased in popularity in Belgium in the mid-19th century, but it's estimated that pigeon racing can go as far back as 220 AD. That's during the Han Dynasty in China, and the tradition of pigeons is still alive today. It's popular in so many places around the world, including where it began in Belgium, Australia, China, Poland, Turkey, Canada. It's also popular in Brooklyn and New York in the United States, but the most popular country for pigeon racing by far is Taiwan. Taiwan has more racing pigeon events than any other country in the world. There are around 2 to 3 million birds competing and nearly 500,000 people racing pigeons on the island alone. So yeah, it's pretty dang popular. Each year, the prize money for these races reaches in the billions of NT, or New Taiwan dollars. If you want to calculate how much US dollars that is, it takes around 30 New Taiwan dollars to equal about one US dollar. And even with that conversion rate, that means the prize money is still in the millions. So I guess if you're looking to make money racing pigeons, head to Taiwan. They have plenty of it there. And you can't race just any pigeon. You don't just go to a park, throw some crackers down, and then capture a feather beauty and say, hey, you're my winner. It's actually a specific breed of pigeon. It's called a racing homer because it, haha, races home. These birds are bred specifically to fly long distances fast. A typical racing distance is around 620 miles. Some have been recorded to be as far as 1,100 miles or 1,800 kilometers. That's pretty dang far. The average speed of a racing pigeon is around 60 miles per hour, but they can get up to 90 miles per hour. I'm even afraid to drive that fast in my car. And look, if you want to get involved in racing pigeons, you have to be prepared to lay down some cash before you can make some cash. The most expensive pigeon ever sold was $1.9 million from a bidder in China, and that was sold on November of 2020. Judging by that price tag, you'll be extremely surprised to find that the birds that are bought 
are usually not even sold to race themselves. In fact, they probably will never race again. The reason why they spend so much money on these pigeons is because they're used for breeding in hopes that the little babies of these victors will then become victors themselves, winning millions of prize money at future races. Pigeon breeding is very similar to breeding pedigree dogs, and experienced racers will breed generations in a family. The thought is that a fast mom and dad equals a fast son or daughter, hopefully. I know it sounds bonkers to lay down a million plus dollars just crossing your fingers, hoping that this little tiny baby pigeon will live up to the mother and father. That's a lot of pressure for a little wee squab. But in reality, genetics is the best way to figure out if the next offspring will be successful. Look, that pigeon's a racer. It's in its blood. And when it comes to genetics, that's usually the case, so the best bet to get a winner is to breed winners. And we're used to this with Westminster Dog Show. People will see the winners of this dog show and then breed them together to have the ultimate perfect breed. And you'll be surprised to find that they do the same exact thing with pigeons. There are indeed pigeon breeding shows. And these pigeon breeding shows aren't just for racing, they're actually for looks. Because just like the Westminster Dog Show, pigeons are extremely diverse in their visual appearance. You can breed them to look pretty wonky, or pretty pretty, depending on your preference. This was honestly one of my favorite things to research because there are so many different pigeon breeds. If you compare the number of breeds of pigeons to dogs, there are around 199 dog breeds recognized by the American Kennel Club. And this, of course, doesn't include mutts or other random breeds. These are the purebreds, the ones that have pure blood running through their veins. They are like my dog, the Dachhund, or the weenie. <laughs> So compared to that number of dog breeds, pigeons blow them out of the water. There are around 800 recognized pigeon breeds. And if you consider all regional varieties all over the world, that will be more than 1,100 breeds. The European list of fancy pigeon alone names around 500 breeds. So yes, there are a lot of different pigeon breeds, and if you think pigeons, they're boring, they're gray, little, chubby blobs of feathers, you would be wrong, because pigeons can get quite dang fancy. I had the chance to meet an amazing pigeon breeder. His name was Drew Lobenstein, and he worked at the Moore Park College as a professor. This happened a few years back. I had just moved back to Los Angeles from San Francisco, and after reading a book on pigeons and seeing them everywhere in the city, I wanted to meet somebody who had more knowledge. I just couldn't get enough of pigeons. So I went online and I found a pigeon pageant website, a place where they host a bunch of these events, and I emailed them, asking them, is there anybody that can teach me more about pigeons? And they all said, you have to talk to Drew. He is a genius when it comes to pigeon breeding. And so I emailed him and I set up a meeting. He thankfully said yes, and I headed to his place. Little did I know that I would have a huge surprise when I walked into his backyard. There were lofts upon lofts, and they were all full of pigeons. 
And don't worry, I didn't just walk into a stranger's backyard. I brought a friend with me to record the interview that I did with Drew. At the time, I just graduated college as a multimedia communications major. So I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to tell other people's stories. And to me, the story of pigeons was fascinating. Obviously, if you couldn't tell from this podcast. Drew was an encyclopedia of pigeon knowledge. He even brought out baby pigeons that looked like chewed up pieces of bubblegum with eyeballs. I know it sounds weird to describe them that way, but if you've ever seen a very baby bird, you'll get the reference. He then told me that he bred around 200 different breeds of pigeon from scratch. And the main pigeon that he bred was Jacobin pigeons. He could breed for eye color, feather color, beak size, you name it, and you pretty much can breed it. Also, a side fact, I did tell ABC, The Bachelor, about Drew Lobenstein, and when they were filming my package for my intro onto the show, they actually brought a camera crew to Drew's backyard, and I loved having him talk about all the pigeons going throughout the lofts. Unfortunately, they didn't choose to put it in my intro package. Instead, they decided to focus on taxidermy, the weird taxidermy girl, but... I could have been the weird pigeon girl, too, on that show. And it kind of upsets me they didn't put him in there. He is such a great character with so much knowledge. I do hope to do another interview with him someday in the future just to share with everyone his magnificent mind because I truly had a great time getting to know him. So as I said, his famous pigeon that he bred was the Jacobin Pigeon. And this is a pretty dang fancy pigeon, and it goes way back. It was actually one of Queen Victoria's favorites, and it kind of looked like Queen Victoria's giant lace collar, the famous lace collar that she had in her dress with feathers poking up all around this little pigeon head. So this pigeon is at the peak of fashion. But that's only the beginning of the iceberg when it comes to all the different kinds of pigeon breeds. Get ready for your mind to be blown with pigeons. Also, keep your Google search handy because you're going to want to see what these look like for yourself. I'm going to list just a few of my favorite breeds of pigeon after doing a little bit of research to see just how diverse these birds look. So the first one I want to talk about is the frillback pigeon. It looks like a curly-haired toupee or a wig. It's this pigeon just covered in curled feathers. I guess you could say the equivalent of this curly pigeon would be like a poodle in a dog breed. Next up is a barb pigeon. I researched this pigeon and immediately felt sorry for it because it almost looks like it sneezed and its beak and eyeballs exploded. Or there's some kind of infection around its face. I don't know why they bred this pigeon to look this way, but it's pretty gnarly. The area that they exaggerate around their beak is called a sear, and it's unknown why they have these sears, but it houses the nostrils of the pigeon, and they guess it could be used for smelling. But my thought is that because this is so exaggerated, it's so bulbous, the pigeon isn't doing much of that, so it probably can't smell that scented candle you set up in its loft. Poor pigeon. Another really wonky looking pigeon is the ice pigeon. It looks like a regular pigeon, but its feet has a fan of feathers, which looks like it makes it really difficult to walk. Another similar pigeon to this with the fanned out feet feathers is the powder pigeon, but add on to that extravagant look, a big puffed out chest. It looks like they swallowed a tiny water balloon. These pigeons don't only look funky, they're also bred to perform certain skills or tasks. 
An example of this is roller, parlor, or tumbler pigeons. I grouped them all together because these pigeons were bred specifically to either tumble or roll, either in flight or on the ground. And this is just how to differentiate them a little bit more. So tumbler pigeons are named for their ability to spin and tumble in flight. It's actually a fascinating trait that's been reported in domestic pigeons for centuries. It's believed that this ability was initially a survival skill that allowed these birds to evade aerial attacks by birds of prey. So you see a hawk or an eagle dive bombing you at incredible speeds and then you swoosh, you can avert them really quickly by tumbling in the air. So this trait is exaggerated when it comes to tumbler pigeons. Then there's parlor pigeons that when they attempt to fly, they instead somersault backwards across the ground until they're exhausted or they just give up trying to fly. This one honestly made me a little bit sad because when I looked up videos of parlor roller pigeons, it looked like a chaotic flurry, like a bowling ball of feathers rolling on the ground. And it didn't look like it was a comfortable thing for the pigeon to be doing. This abnormal behavior is exploited in many competitions. Owners of these pigeons compete to find out whose bird covers the most ground by tumbling over it. That kind of goes in the line of animal cruelty to me. Not really a huge fan. But the reason why they think they roll is that the bird has some sort of defect in the balance center of its brain, making it so that when they attempt to fly, instead of doing so, they flip over backwards. Yeah, not too nice. And unfortunately, it doesn't get too much better for the roller pigeon. Roller pigeons are bred for a genetic quirk that strikes them in mid-flight, and it's thought that it causes a brief seizure that sends the bird spiraling uncontrollably towards the ground. No, just don't do that. Stop breeding these pigeons for this reason. This kind of makes me upset when people try to quote-unquote play God in order to create creatures that benefit their entertainment value or what they see as quote beautiful. Not a huge fan of that, so I just had to add that in here so people have a little more awareness of how pigeons are being exploited in this way. So yeah, not good, made me sad. Do not support that. Some extra facts about these kinds of pigeons are that parlor rollers generally lose their ability to fly after they reach maturity. So initially they can fly, but then because of that defect that's bred into their genes, they lose that ability. Can you imagine like knowing what it's like to be free and to fly only to have it taken from you because your brain doesn't allow you to do so? Also, a lot of these pigeons that are bred to flip in midair will sometimes die from raptor strikes. They'll see a pigeon that doesn't know up from down and say, hey, that's easy prey, I'm going to snack on you. If you want to hear a little justice, while researching that topic, I found an LA Times article that said U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service agents arrested seven men from LA and charged them with violating the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. They blamed this pigeon club, this group of men, for killing around 1,000 to 2,000 hawks and falcons in the SoCal area every year. They were, of course, breeding tumbler pigeons, which were easy prey, and they were trying to prevent their pigeons from being killed by these predatory birds, so they started killing the hawks and falcons in the area. Luckily, they got caught for it, but not a good situation nonetheless, and if you think you can't relate to protecting an animal that you've bred and raised, try comparing it to 
the huge number of coyotes, mountain lions, wolves, and other predatory animals that are killed to protect your pets, dogs and cats. It's very similar. I know it might not be a popular comparison, but we tend to love these animals that we breed for specific reasons, which is companionship or entertainment. And the wild animals are the ones that usually have to suffer because we want there to be room for our animals that usually are selectively bred to not defend themselves against these creatures. But hey, you can't blame a wild animal for seeing vulnerable prey and taking advantage. It's literally in their blood. They're just trying to feed themselves and their family. I'm not sure if there's a way for this to coexist, but there has to be an understanding that we're all sharing these spaces and it's not necessarily fair to kill the more wild version of animals and protect our bred ones. That's a conversation I can go on and on about, but unfortunately, I will not go on that rant, maybe in another episode. So I'm going to end the podcast here. Pigeons are my favorite bird, if you couldn't tell by this episode, and talking about them and sharing everything that I've learned with you has been such a treat, and I hope that by now, by the end of this episode, you've learned to love them just as much as me. Give me a comment. Tell me what you think of pigeons, because I hope that I convinced you that they are fascinating feathered beauties that deserve to be loved and respected because they're pretty neat. At least I think so. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would love to share this episode with people and get them to love pigeons like you now do, I hope, please do that. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. It really does help our podcast get off the ground. I would love to keep talking about random things that intrigue me. And if anything intrigues you, let me know. You can email me, leave a comment. I also make sure to post a little hint about what the next episode is going to be on my stories. So you can keep a lookout on my stories at It's Kendall Long on Instagram. And let me know what sparks your curiosity. And hey, it might be the next episode. Again, thank you so much for listening. This has been Little Curiosities. I'm your host, Kendall Long. And who knows what next week we'll have in store. Hopefully some other fun, random, obscure topic that I find to be fascinating. And hopefully you do too. So I'll catch you next time. Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Will Tendy. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Are you ready for the ultimate Love Island experience? Join us on After the Island. We're going back to where it all began, Fiji. Love Island USA Season 5 is making a splash on Peacock right now. And guess what? Your favorite recap show is back, too. Welcome to After the Island. Join us as real-life besties and co-hosts, Elizabeth and Alex, as we deep dive into each sizzling episode of Love Island USA. We'll spill the tea, interview contestants, answer fan questions, and give you unprecedented behind-the-scenes access to the wildly popular world of Love Island. 
Don't miss a single moment of the drama, romance, and unforgettable island vibes. Listen to After the Island on any streaming platform.